0: back to another edition of the Wits Up Podcast. This is the last episode of 2020 and we are signing out of 2020 with a bang with probably one of the most enthusiastic and energetic bunnies in the world of triathlon. Her name is Nikki Bartlett. But before we get stuck into this episode, I just wanted to give a massive shout out to all of our listeners, all of our followers and supporters, a big thank you for all of your support, uh, not just in the last year, but over many, many years. Uh, It does not go unnoticed. We truly, truly appreciate you. Uh, and also to the people behind the scenes uh, here at WitsUp as well, we wouldn't be able to produce the content that we do uh, without the team effort that it requires. Um, I guess the, the hub of the group, uh, Laura Siddle, Jordan Blanco, Molly Supple, uh, they're kind of the the hub, the team. And then we have a a host of contributors as well. I'm not going to list them all here because we'll be Uh, here for quite some time. And I know you want to listen to Nikki Bartlett. uh, But once again, thank you to all of our contributors as well. So a big, merry shout out to everyone out there. Thank you for your continued support. I hope you get the opportunity to catch up with friends, family, and loved ones over the holiday break. Uh, And give yourself a break as well. Look after yourself. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a bit of a breather too for a couple of weeks. And we'll see you again in 2021. Just hit the brakes for a few moments. or I mean, I should say just lightly squeeze the brakes. You never slam on the brakes uh, on a bike because there's a good chance you'll go over the handlebars. So just let's just say we'll lightly squeeze the brakes. Just give them a little squeeze. Uh, just while I interrupt or before we get started with the podcast today, uh, because If you have not signed up for the WitsUp Weekly Word, that is our weekly newsletter. Make sure you do. Just jump on the website. It's in the top right-hand corner of the website. Uh, You'll see it says e-news sign-up. Make sure you do. We're going to hit the ground running again in 2021, sharing all of the news stories that we find interesting in the world of triathlon, but also outside of triathlon as well. Uh, And they're stories that we think, uh, that you will find interesting. So just sign up, jump on the website and we'll see you back here in 2021. Oh, now my child is awake, but that's okay. That's what the husband's well, for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, Nikki Bartlett, it it has been a minute or two, you and I trying to get our shit together to, to record a podcast and we actually got through an entire hour what about a month or so ago and realized it didn't work
1: <laughs> i think it's actually 90 minutes
0: <laughs> oh gosh and then the first 30 minutes of this episode is just us talking about uh, technology and um, is it is it is it fair to say technology is not your greatest um, of skills
1: well obviously because i didn't know what quick player was so the fact that i didn't know what it was it just shows that i just don't use technology, i technophobe, complete technophobe I am.
0: <laughs> Good thing you've got an amazing partner uh, who knows a little bit uh, about technology, that's for sure.
1: Definitely, she, comes, she always comes and helps.
0: Um, now I remember from our last episode, you two are actually engaged, right?
1: Yeah, we're engaged, it's been a while, <laughs> um, we've got plans for what I'm, I call is our gay games, <laughs> okay. <You're cool>. Okay. <laughs> okay. <it's> wedding. <laughs> um,
0: I need you to elaborate.
1: We need, well, we need more than fifteen people there, and you know it's a bit touch and go. But we always have like not an excuse every year, but always like, Well, you know, it's not a good time now. But we've been saying that now for five years. So. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: then, and then a global pandemic.
1: Yeah, and then we've just spent wedding money on a car, so maybe to pause a little longer. <laughs>
0: um okay so so the gay games why the gay (laughs) games am i am i picturing i'm just trying to think of all the weddings i've been to in all my years and like things like giant jenga have been popular at weddings um at our wedding we had totem tennis for the kids although the adults end up playing it is this what we're talking about with the wedding it's going to be a lot of a lot of games
1: Yeah, so my mind always thinks, like, blah. So in my head, I'm like, there's going to be an official, like, 10 minutes, you know, little ceremony. And then there's going to be a massive field full of games for kids, any age group. It's going to have, like, you know, human Jenga. It's going to have two different bouncy castle sizes. It's going to have, like, sumo wrestlers. So basically (laughs) just putting all the wackiness into this field of just playing, basically, for, like, 10 hours. (laughs) And And then like, you know, like little van, like little fish and chip vans or um, uh, picnic stalls, ice cream vans. Um, Yeah. So it's going to basically just be a massive games day.
0: I love it. Does Bex know this?
1: She kind of does. And she just, like in life, just nods and agrees. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But secretly, deep down, she wants the gay games to happen in a big festival manner.
0: I like it. And... Weddings are meant to be a party, celebration, fun. So I'm, I'm all for it. We had lots of stupid things going on at our wedding. So I'm 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 team Nikki on the uh, game ga- gay games.
1: Yes, get in there. <laughs> but yeah, basically every year I add to more you know extreme nature of our activities. So like more different wacky games that come into it. But to be honest, we're using fancy dress so much this year. We're gonna have half the fancy dress stuff we need anyway. <laughs>
0: I love that you're talking about your wedding. And when you said fancy dress, I thought you meant like a nice fancy wedding dress, but no, no. you.
1: (laughs) I literally mean dressing up in a wacky way.
0: Okay. Let's talk through that then. Fancy dress. Now I've seen very early on in um, lockdown for for you lot over there, you dressed up as Spider-Man or do we say Spider-Woman? I don't know.
1: I don't know, everyone just thought it was a man and then I spoke and
0: they're like, oh no, it's a woman. <laughs> <laughs> but it was one of my favourite things to come out of the um, the lockdown was you running through your town, towns, plural, um, in the Spider-Man costume and not just kids loving it, but adults loving it too.
1: How did you come up with the idea? I, know, I actually, yeah, well... Well, I was saying, like, at the beginning of lockdown, like, what can I do in this time? Because, you know, sport can be selfish. And I was like, what can I do? And Bex was asleep, and I couldn't sleep. And it was, like, 12 o'clock at night, and I just went on Amazon and looked on Fancy Dress. And, by the way, Fancy Dress costumes are expensive, like, yep. so expensive. So, first of all, I wanted Mr. Blobby. Mr. Blobby's 51 pounds, so I was like, oh, it's a bit steep. Wait, so, what's, what's,
0: what's Mr. Blobby?
1: It's just like, I don't know, it's a kid's program here in the UK, which maybe it was just back in my time when I was a kid, but it's like a massive blow up thing with dots all over it. Um, It's just massive. (laughs) But actually, in hindsight, after what I'll get onto in a bit, is that actually big costumes are really hard to run in. So Spider-Man was perfect because I could just do all my running, training, and run for like anything up to two hours I was going in
0: (laughs) It, in the suit, up to two hours.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it was kind of hot in our lockdown as well. Hot for UK anyway. Yeah. Like some of the sometimes I get back and I could like because it's got like glove fingers and I can wring the sweat out my gloves. Oh <laughs> 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 um, yeah, it needed like one or two washes per run.
0: Oh my gosh, you are mental. I. And then in in um, Solidarity, I got a Spider-Man costume as well yes. because I loved it, but I'm so unfit that there's no way I could run in it. So I rode my bike in it, um, but I went cheap, cheap, and it was terribly – it didn't fit me very well. It was horrible to wear. So I guess um, – I guess our uh, tip, if you're going to be purchasing fancy dress costumes, is spend the extra money for comfort if you're going to be running or riding in it.
1: Yeah, my £35 was well spent because I ended up running 43 hours in it. So it was like less than a pound per run. I
0: love it. It needs its separate um, Strava segment, uh, Spider-Man segment, I think.
1: I, know. I don't have Strava, but it definitely had a lot of miles out of me. <laughs> I basically ran every day in it. So basically I just spread spreaded joy around Loughborough area and, and just did what I can to to cheer up people on a, a gloomy time in life.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I just noticed the other day that uh, you posted <laughs> another fancy dress costume. Yes. And this one's probably pretty obvious. But what are you up to now?
1: So I've now got a 19... 19- 99 santa outfit which blows up and it's massive and it's so hard to run in but it's so funny like and into a headwind you just you don't move like i think i averaged like six minute a case
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm averaging um, at the moment anyway without a costume
1: <laughs> but yeah i'm just going around i can't run as far in that i don't think well i probably can it'll just take me forever um so yeah so i'm running a santa at the moment I love it.
0: And and is that uh are you giving away lollies or anything to kids? What's the goal of this? Just to spread Christmas cheer?
1: Yeah, spread Christmas cheer. Like actually I'm probably getting more beeps. Oh, um, right. Santa. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because everyone's in the mood. Everyone's in the um in the holidays mood.
1: Yeah, like we caused a traffic jam on our first run. <laughs> What do you mean? (laughs) Well, like I went through the main estate and then the main road kind of goes out to the motorway. I just did an out and back section on there and everyone was beeping, going, woo out their windows. But because everyone's doing it, everyone's slowing down, it just ended up causing a line of basically stopped traffic. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my
0: goodness. (laughs) You're nuts. Um, Nikki, I wanted to, and obviously we don't talk too much about triathlon, but it's going to come up in conversation. I do want to talk to you about this year and we did talk yeah. about this on the the episode that is in a black hole somewhere <laughs> in the world of technology um but but when we spoke over in a month or so ago um it was obviously before challenge daytona uh, but you'd done a few i guess local kind of races the pto had managed to get a couple of races or had managed to uh support a couple of races uh and yeah. you've been racing on zwift all year um you in terms of what this year had has looked like you've actually you seem to have had a pretty successful year in terms of racing whether it be in real life or on or on Zwift is that is that fair
1: yeah it's been good it's actually been one of my best financial years as well (laughs) in a strange way um yeah it's been a great year i've got everything i could out of the year and maximized any opportunities come come up um Learned lots, developed a heaps load as an athlete, so I feel like I'm well set up for 2021. Fingers crossed that <laughs> is a, a little bit smoother than this one, but yeah, I'm gonna aim for a later season, I guess, next year, just to now because I'm on South Africa's already been postponed, so there's not too many early season races to, to aim for. So, so yeah, this year's um, set me up well, hopefully, for next year, and I've kept myself motivated. I'm in my off season now, and I've always wanted a Christmas off season, so it's actually worked oh, out really well. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah right. So yeah. for and I'm going to call you the woman that doesn't say no because I feel like you say <laughs> yes to everything and you do everything and you do everything with the same amount of energy. Um, you know, every single day you just you just go 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 go. So what does an off season look like for Nikki Bartlett?
1: It's actually re- that's a really timing um, quote there because I actually feel like I haven't stopped since mm. getting back from Daytona. Um, but that's mainly because, while well, leading up to a key race, sometimes I just write a massive to-do list of all the stuff I need to do after the race. But I always say I'll never leave my tax returns till December, and every December, I'm doing my tax returns. So that was but the the hard part of um this time right now is that we're so jet gent- lagged. like we got over I'll never ever get an overnight flight back over this way as well, because coming back this way is horrendous, and then doing it overnight as well so like by the time we went to sleep tuesday night our last sleep was sunday night so you've oh, got wow. that you've got yeah you've got the horrible loss of coming back this way but also with a whole night's sleep loss but also i never sleep the night before a race or after the race so i'm i've been so sleep deprived and we've been struggling with jet lag massively like i've been going to sleep at like 4 a.m and waking up at 12 p.m but then Uh-oh. feeling almost like hung over so then i'm like coming around at like two o'clock and then it gets dark here at four so I'm like oh so, be God. so bizarre. Um, but yeah, we've uh, we've done our tax returns, we've bought a new car, we've I've done my mainly my massive list of to-do list. Um, I'm just quickly buying my Christmas presents because I've definitely left them to last minute. It's my brother's first so I'm sorting that out as well at the moment. Um, but yeah, so I feel like in a few days' time I'll then start to enjoy uh, the off season properly.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, your to-do list sounds as hectic as every other part <laughs> of your life. Um, and I say this because um, do you remember the first time that we met?
1: Was it Kona? Yeah. Yeah, it, was, it must have
0: been Kona. It definitely was Kona. And I was like, oh, my God, this stuff. <laughs> but I remember – uh, yeah, <laughs> Because I'd become uh, quite good friends with Susie, and she's like, yeah, yeah, um, you have to meet Nikki. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to do an interview with her and – I met you and I, I swear to this day, I think you are still the most excitable puppy triathlete that I've ever met. And I don't think you've changed from that day. You are still this excited, ball of energy, puppy dog. Correct me if I'm wrong. I
1: think, no, I think that's what's got me through this year as well. Because I'm just like, oh. I, have, I literally feel so new to the sport. I, I guess I relatively am, like quite new to the sport. So I feel like everything's still learning, everything's so new, like this year, I feel like I've been properly set up on a, you know, great kit and that kind of stuff. So I'm like, oh, I've just started. I'm not stopping anytime soon. Um, so I'm like, I'm in here sport for like 10 more years. And then like, everyone's like, oh God, how do you stay motivated to keep training? I'm like, the everything's so new, like everything's so exciting still. So that's why I'm like, I've got through this year okay, I think. <laughs> I just so Yeah, basically puppy dog everything.
0: You really are. And are you like this on uh, Christmas morning as well?
1: Yeah, I like it like all the time. <laughs> Except from jet lag. And jet lag, yeah. I'm just like, I wake up and I'm like, I need to go back to bed. I can't focus. And I, can't, I feel like I can't be myself. That's why I hate it because I'm like, I can't wake up. Oh, my God, it's 3 p.m. in the afternoon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's wind the clock back to when you were growing up. Have you, have you yeah. always been um, this energetic? Do you, do you remember your parents um, trying to find ways to calm you down or sit you in the corner so they could have five seconds to to breathe?
1: Yeah, so first of all, my parents truly still believe to this day they picked up the wrong baby from the hospital <laughs> because I am so not like any of my family. They're like really chill. They're not very sporty. You know, they don't take massive risks or if any risks. You know, they're just like let's just chill and I'm like let's just do everything we can in one day <laughs> <laughs> um and then like I'm obviously like uh like I'm a nightmare in off season like at the moment I'm quite tired still from traveling and trying to do all of our to-do list in five days um <laughs> but uh, but when in the next week I know Bex is going to start to be like oh my god go back training um
0: <laughs> yeah right <laughs> go and get
1: tired you'll do my head in um, yep. But yes, yeah, so my parents, I, I feel very fortunate, actually, that in my childhood, we didn't have phones, like, you know, my, tell my age. <laughs> um, but yeah, we had an amazing uh, neighbourhood of kids and we just used to go out all day. And my parents were like, you know, you don't need a curfew, just come back when you're tired. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd come back, I'm knackered, I'm going to bed, and they're like, yes.
0: <laughs> oh gosh, again, like a puppy dog, you need to be run right around the block a few times to tire you out.
1: Yeah, and they always thank Bex, like, still, I think, they, you know, before lockdown, they went on a walk with us, and they're like, Bex, thanks so much. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Bex is, like, complete opposite, like, so chilled, so's our dog. Um, Yeah, they're really chilled, and I'm just, like, the hypo one, and Bex's like, shut up.
0: (laughs) What kind of dog do you have? (laughs)
1: We have a really well, we have a Jack Russell, long haired, but she's not like a Jack Russell. Like she is literally a very unique Jack Russell. She's my she actually makes me go and recover because she takes me to bed. Like she loves to be in bed. <laughs> um so so between sessions she'll like be like, Mummy, we're going upstairs to bed. <laughs> so we go upstairs to bed and we have a chill. Um but yes, yeah, she doesn't particularly like walking much. Uh very chilled. But when we were away, um our friends House sat for us, and also they have a dog who's a hypo. And I think Titch just misses her because she's sulking. Ever since we got back, she's just been sulking. But she hates dogs, but she really likes Molly, the dog, um, who was here house sitting as well. Um, so we don't know whether she wants another dog, or she's sulking because we've left her for the first time this year.
0: Oh, and everything's kind of heightened this year as well because everyone's kind of at home a lot more. I I was uh, listening to something the other day and they were saying that with dogs, um, when people start going back to work, dogs are going to really struggle and get separation anxiety because we've never been home as much as what we have been this year.
1: Oh, totally. And Tish is kind of um, spoiled because she loves all the homes we take her to when we're away. So she goes back to his parents who live on a massive – Play and field farm area with yeah. dogs and she goes and rolls in muck and everything all the time um but yeah so she, we don't know if she's sulking because we've been away and she's yeah. like um i'm not used to you going away anymore or she's like i need a dog in my life but she hates dogs so we just can't decide what to do so we don't know if to get a dog or not
0: ah uh, yeah and it's not something that you can really test out can you <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm like talk t- t- talk to us come on tell us <laughs>
0: My gosh, Brett started showing me photos of Border Collie puppies the other day. And I was just like, no, we do not need another dog. We're struggling to find a dog sitter to go away for Christmas, you know, as it is. So we do not need yeah. a second dog. Um, I know, but it's so tempting. Oh, mate, absolutely. Would you get a rescue okay, dog? Yeah.
1: Well, that's what we're looking at. So whilst I haven't oh. been able to sleep for the night, I've signed up to every single adoption page ever going. <laughs> um, and uh, I think Susie got her dog. I can't remember what um, international. I uh, can't remember where she got hers from. But Bex's mum got one from a- from a- Romania. And it's quite, and uh, I think there's some coming up at the moment, and there's one that you can apply for. Yeah. So I might apply for it. It's very cute. <laughs> I um, bit- but we don't know what the breeds are. So we're like, what we're we applying for, we don't know.
0: Oh really? It's a surprise.
1: Well, no, it's not. But we just don't, we're not very knowledgeable dog breeds. Oh okay. <laughs> house
0: racket it's a great day a great day and then a jack russell in your tiny little um house oh my goodness oh that's funny um okay let's let's go back to growing growing up uh you're you're out of control full of energy (laughs) um what kind of student were you um (laughs) well i mean i can take a guess based on what i how I know you as an adult, but also what I was like as a student as well. And I, I found that I'd get bored really, really easy. And that's when yeah, I used yeah. to be, I wasn't naughty. I was just, I was cheeky. I think because I'd, mm-hmm. you know, I'd get stuff done and then I'd just be bored and have all this energy. Um, and yes, and then be told to run around the Oval at lunchtime to, to burn energy. But I assume you might be a little bit the
1: same. Yeah, I reckon if we were in a class together, we'd be expelled. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, it depends if we go down the truth a or I slightly take an edge off it, but I'll probably just tell the truth. So yeah, it was a nightmare. Um <laughs> so basically, yeah, so basically, um I had no attention span at school. Um, you know, I scraped I think I got like four GCSEs. I just got into sixth form because I played sport. And they're like, you need to you know buckle up because i started drinking early as well at like 14 15 years old like when i was in year nine at school i was as tall as i am now so right. i i looked really old really quickly so i could get into clubs at like 15 16 oh. um, <laughs> i found a group of friends who also loved the nightlife so we were out all the time like I had no interest in school, no interest in career. I just wanted to be drinking, and to the point where, like, you couldn't remember nights out, kind of drinking. Yeah. Um, so I scraped through to sixth form, and they were like, Nikki, you need to buckle up. Like, what are you doing with your life?" And I was like, "I have no idea what I'm doing with my life." Yeah. Um, and then I, I got into the uni. got into uni, and that kind of saved me because it made me. Well, not first year. First year was I nearly got kicked out. <laughs> um, but then once once they threatened me, you need to get kicked out. Then I then I properly got my head down because they were like, "Yeah, you got forty point zero three percent in your first year, and you know anything below forty, you're getting kicked out." And I'm like, "Oh my god, I am on the edge here." But like wow. I, did, I turned up to so uni without a laptop. Um, when we found in our first assignment, they were like, Where's your bibliography? And I was like, What the hell's a bibliography? And they're like, You literally aren't listening to anything we're telling you. <laughs> and I was like, No. Because is this um, because you
0: were just partying too hard?
1: Yeah. Right. I was okay. just partying all the time. I just had no interest in education at all. Yeah. Um, and in the classroom so before uni in the classroom, so I wasn't like I was getting kicked out of class all the time, I'd be on report. My mum my mum used to be a dinner lady, she used to come in and I'd be sat outside the headmaster's office and they're like Debbie, we need a word. Nikki's being really disruptive again. And she used to dread coming in. She was like, God, what am I going to get told next? Uh, <laughs> and, but so yeah, I, was, I just ha- had no attention span. I was cheeky. But I wasn't like, like really naughty. Like I wouldn't swear or anything. The teachers, I just had no interest in being in, stuck in the classroom. So as soon yeah. as I walked in, my head was switched off already. I was thinking about what party we're gonna to go to this weekend or you know, yeah. just chatting away in the class. So yeah, and then at uni I had to buck my myself up and actually study. Otherwise I don't know what I was gonna do in my life at all.
0: So okay, so let me so and and again this comes from I guess my own experience. I I went to uni, um, not because I was passionate about doing anything in particular. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I felt like that was just the next step. Like, it's just what I had to do was go to uni. Um, yeah. what, like you, you clearly didn't like school or no. studying or what have you. What made you go to uni if that was just not of any interest to you? The truth. <laughs> the <laughs> truth. <laughs>
1: the truth is that I used to do athletics not to a high standard at all and one of my friends I did athletics with with was like oh we'll just go to uni and do athletics you know and just go partying and I was like okay that sounds good I don't have to go and do work or anything like that or go into the real world so I can remember going home to my mum I was like I'm gonna go to uni she was like yeah I don't think you're gonna get in and we definitely can't afford to send you to uni because I'm yeah I'm very much from a my family wouldn't mind, but I'm very much from a working-class background. My family could never afford to even pay anything towards uni. Um right. so, so they were like, why do you want to go? And I was like, well, I just, you know, a bit of fun. <laughs> and, then, and then I got in, and then my friend didn't get in. And so I went to uni on my own. And then because she was the one who was quite serious in athletics, I then stopped doing athletics and just went full whack party mode.
0: Oh my goodness. So you weren't all that into it into into athletics but it's it's why you chose to go to, to uni.
1: Yeah, Birmingham uni is massive on athletics.
0: Oh gosh. Okay, so you spend the first year not doing much and bit like we're talking a point a percentage um over the pass mark to stay. Um so, Yeah. So that sends a rocket up your up your proverbial, I, I assume, uh, at the end yeah. of year one. Um, so then what does year two look like in terms of um, sport, but also study to stay there? And why did you want to stay if it wasn't, you know, if you still were like, yeah, I'm just here to party. I'm not even here for athletics or study. Why did you, like, why didn't you just leave then?
1: because I had the best social life, and then also (laughs) into the mix, is that, um, because I thought, oh, I'll go to, at least go to athletics and try it out. So I went around the sports hall, which um, had the freshest pair of signing up. And then I was like, God, where do I find athletics? Okay, it must be A at the beginning. Anyway, it wasn't, it was rowing. And then this really tall, (laughs) handsome guy came up to me. Even though I'm gay, it's fine. He's still good looking. Um, And then he came up to me and he was like, "Have you ever thought about rowing, you're really tall. And I was like, you you know when you talk to people like, oh, I used to do rowing, they're like, oh, you know, it's like the kayak thing or the canoe thing. I was very much in that headspace. I was like, sorry, I just don't really know what rowing is. He's like, come on, come and give it a go. um, And then come to our social night afterwards. And I was like, okay, this is pretty scary, but okay. I've never rowed in my life. Um, so I went and did the initiation, which was basically it was like a relay team on the row machine, and then you got off, and then you ran up that what was at the time of Berlin uni called a Murhe Tower. It was basically a falling down tower that had like 17 flights of stairs, and you ran up, run down, ran up, run down, down, and then you did it as like a little race, and then you just took your party clothes there, and then you went straight out. So you've got no food, you've done exercise, go straight out drinking. And we just got absolutely wrecked. And I was like, Yeah, this is the sport for me. <laughs> You work hard, but you party harder. I'm in, mean. oh, and then the athletic wow. social. You went training. You obviously went home and hydrated, and then you went out for a meal. And we were in bed by ten. I was like, nah.
0: <laughs> right. So, oh gosh, you're funny. So you're still being led by the partying. Yeah. Wow. So that's
1: why I took up rowing in my first year. So I had a group of rowing friends, and I had a group of like halls and uni friends. And then in second year, I stayed in a a nine-person house and we all had other halves. And I don't think the front door was ever locked. It was like party house central. And through that year, we started to get quite like, because I learned how to row my first year. And then the second year, we were developing quite nicely. And then um, it started to get a little bit more serious. Then I stepped back on the drinking a bit. My grades were moving up and I was like, started to get a little bit of a taste into elite sport. Not masses, but a bit of taste, which I've never had before because I've just been a kind of just go to all the sporting events and not be a master at any. So then I started to be like, oh, this is quite fun. I'm enjoying this. And then we just kind of developed. And then uh, we qualified for the European um, University Championships. um, And we all stayed. We decided our boat, our own boat, our four of us, would stay all summer, get a part-time job, um each and uh just basically smash ourselves in rowing training and we came second and beat uh what at the time was a gb under 23 boats so we did really well and that was my first taste so then in third year i took it quite seriously yeah uh, went on to the girls the gold initiative in 2008 which is to find future olympic hopefuls and i got on fast tracked onto the gb rowan world class Start system just after i graduated um so then i went into rowan from there's Hoping to then go to the Olympics. Uh, wow! And <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a turnaround. <laughs> and, and I also did quite well in my degree.
0: <laughs> okay, so we've been we've got kind of been laughing about how partying was the uh, the reason you got into it all. Um, but obviously, like you, you're partying pretty hard right now. Looking back at it, is it something that? you feel if if you didn't find rowing and find that competition, it it could have gone down a pretty rough road, do you think?
1: Oh, definitely. Like, and especially in school, like, when I was 15, 16, I was hanging around with some people who <laughs> weren't the be- best influencers in life. Mm. Um, and definitely, like, I was drinking, to, like, especially at uni, like, in my first year, like, five nights a week. <laughs> but like to right. the point where you can't remember nights out um yeah. and you know I'd wake up and I'm like where's my bed I didn't make it to the bed tonight I made it to our front room <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, so that kind of thing and I'm like I'm fully dressed and I think that's when smoking was allowed in clubs still but there you just stink of smoke um and yeah you're just like yeah where am I what am I doing and then you know the next day's you're hum over and you can't really do anything and but yeah so I definitely had like from the age of 15 to 20 maybe 20 so like five years binge partying. and yeah. then I've done all that and I do find it hard to touch alcohol now because it's I feel like it's a t- slippery slope <laughs> um so yeah, yeah I don't drink much at all anymore
0: yeah right and and <laughs> When you were so, when you started to get a bit more successful at the rowing um, uh, and and at studies, do you remember it being a conscious decision to say, "All right, I need to um, shut down partying ways," or did it just kind of evolve, you know, over time because the rowing became more intense, so you just couldn't actually, you didn't have the uh, energy to go out partying.
1: Yeah, and I could take on more responsibilities. Like I was working part time as well, and I was also. Do some voluntary work in the sports uh, coordinator role at the University of Birmingham. I was taking on more, more roles within the was set up, like captain kind of roles. Um, and yeah, I just had my first little taste of what elite sport could be like. What my one of my friends actually, I think it was in second year. Yeah, in second year, took me on a on what I went on to, So onto a GB rowing world class start camp. She was allowed to take a pairs partner, and I went out with her, and I got smashed like literally because it was all endurance based, like. A lot of people think rowing. The G- I don't know if they, they might have changed their system now, but when I was on it, it was a lot, a lot of mileage, like yeah, so much mileage. But I, at uni, we we're very much high intensity, short mileage, just around tra- just around like all your commitments at, at uni. So I went on that camp, got absolutely smashed, and I came mm-hmm. back and used like a month off to recover. Wow! And then it, that that was the bit where I was like, God, that is what elite sport looks like. Um, and then in third year, like started taking it more seriously. And then my friend was like, mate, this girls for gold initiatives come up. I think you should apply. And to be honest, if she hadn't pushed it on me, I wouldn't have applied. And I would have gone because I started my PGCE after uni as well, uh, to, to be a, uh, P teacher. So I definitely would be, I wouldn't be in triathlon, no way.
0: Yeah. Right. So, so what was the pinnacle in rowing for you, um, in your rowing career and then, why the transition to triathlon?
1: So I went on, yeah, so I was fast tracked onto the GB World Class Start system, and I was sent I was sent up to Stockton on seas to train with Cap Copeland, who went on to win the Olympics in a doubles. There's only uh, two, light. so I was a lightweight rower then, and there's only two spots. So there was only one boat, and that's a double, a lightweight double. Um, So it's sculling, so it's two blades each. Um and Kat copeland was like the leading female so i was located up there to train with her and there's i think at the time there was only five gb rome world class start centers um and i just it was too far north for me um so i then relocated to where my friend was down south in reading i stayed there for three and a half years and i loved it um generally think i could have done really well but i could not cope i could cope with the 60 kilos we had to be, that was fine, I was strong, robust, but as soon as I had to get down to like 57, which really is about 56 kilos, for someone who's pretty much 5'11", that is so light. Yeah. Um, and I just broke all the time, like, cause it's such a lot of mileage, loads of weightlifting, um, not many days off, if, if many at all. Um, it's a really intense environment. You're in one location all year, like, you can't go and see family much. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy that system um sorry can i
0: sorry excuse my ignorance in terms of rowing it's just not a sport that i grew up with so i don't know a whole lot about it but when you say you have to get down to 57 kilos is that because there's only allowed to be a certain amount of um kilos in the boat or is that what um the coaches are saying that's your ultimate yeah yeah
1: yeah so there's two categories so unlike other sports where there's loads of categories rowings so you're either heavyweight which you can just be whatever weight you want to be or there's right. lightweight
0: right.
1: lightweight so you, so gb rowing go through a set of trials to get into the rowing te- to, to get into the gb rowing team they start in october lightweights have to be 61 in october and december trials and then i think february you've got to then be 59 kilos because you trial in your single skull yeah. and then in april when they do their final trials you have to be 57 kilos Um, because at the Olympic or at the major competitions, you have to be, your crew average has to be a certain weight. Um, I could be, say you have to be at at maximum 59 kilos. Um, and say, say I was rowing with Kat, she could get down to say 55. So then we average 57. So you've got average 57 kilos, if that makes sense. Yeah um so i could be 57 she could be 57 or if it worked because i'm just so much taller i was so much taller and when i did get into the system they were like we think you are maybe a little bit too too tall for this um my natural weight used to sit at like 60 61 but to lose those three kilos was really difficult um so you might be like okay if someone's shorter and they can sustain really good training and be really strong at 55 i might be sat at 59 and then that's all right or you could both be at 57, um, but yeah, it
0: just wow. broke me. Wow, and um, and again, excuse my ignorance, but I imagine if you've got someone who's quite tall, so let's assume quite long limbs, um, yeah. and then someone who's that bit, quite a bit shorter,
1: does yeah, that, can does that
0: interesting? Yeah, I imagine that poses a bit of a problem in terms of timing of rowing.
1: Yeah, and you can adapt things like your blade length as well, ah okay your feet your feet are stuck in but you can also change the i can't even remember what it's called now it's been that long your feet tray where your feet are stuck onto you can bring it forward or back but you do you have to get into sync and like mm. you have to practice where's the right like i might not go to full catch mode um, because otherwise, you know, someone's slightly shorter behind, they might be already like at the back waiting for me. Yeah, <laughs> my arm, because like, because like with Rewin, one of the tests they do is like arm span. Um, because they want you ideally your arm span to be bigger than your your body length.
0: Ah, um, so my arm
1: span's something like one hundred eighty-five centimeters or something. I'm like I'm nearly one hundred eighty centimeters tall, so they you want your oh. arm span to be bigger.
0: Yeah. Um, right. Wow. So long the arm's- <laughs> and at school uh do you, because you know they typically say to people who are quite tall you should be well someone said to you you should do rowing but did anyone say to you you should do basketball and do you think you'd have the coordination to play basketball
1: <laughs> i wouldn't i just trip over i was just literally like go play hockey and i was just basically the center of any sports basically you're the centre or left, wing or something. They just whack. They just whack. Someone who will just run up and down all the time. That'd be me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just to burn energy. Oh yeah. gosh. Okay. So then eventually you you move on from rowing and into triathlon. Yeah. And and like you say, um, well that year I can't remember what year it was. Did we? Was it 2017? What year were you in Kona for the first time?
1: Yeah, 2017.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you still you're still relatively new um but you got in you got into triathlon uh and then 2017 was your first year in Kona uh yeah. how do you feel like your trajectory in the sport has has gone do you feel like you've kind of just been thrown into it and you you you're doing well and learning all the time or and where do you see it going
1: yeah like i think um I think I have quite a, a slow one compared to sometimes a lot of people who come in and there's like straight, win in their first one year or two. Mm. Uh, it's taken me four pro years to get my, on oh no, it, three or four pro years to get my first, uh, I'm win at Lanzarote in 2019. And then I'm Dunleary 70.3 in 2019. That's yeah. when I first felt like it was my proper big pro year where I was like actually getting results that I was training in. Um, yeah, like I feel, I feel like I've just been a real. I'm a real slow progressor. I just need a lot of time and just patience and consistency for me to get results. Um, I've got like 15 podium performances now, and mm. uh, but only two of those are wins. And I was getting a hell of a lot of seconds, and everyone's like, "When is this win coming?" <laughs> um, but yeah, so but it, it took me a long time. Like I was an age grouper from like 2012 to 2015, 2016. That's when I went pro. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like there's so there's so much to come. Like even in Daytona, like I was miles off what I wanted to do, um, and which makes it really exciting. I know there's loads to come, um, but yeah, it takes me a lot of time to get to where I want to go.
0: <laughs> and you mentioned the word patience. Um, yeah. D- just based on the energetic bundle that you are, is patience a strength of yours? <laughs> sure. Weirdly, it is.
1: Like yeah, I'm right. just like. Yeah, like I'm quite ch- like, yeah, I guess like I know that things going like I know where I want to go in the sport. Yeah and I'm kind of predicting where I want to go is gonna come right near when I'm like forty. Um Yeah. So I'm fully really prepared to be in it for the long run. Um and I really enjoy what, what I do and I'm motivated to get out of bed every day because I love it. Um so I'm not I don't feel like I'm in any rush. Um I'm very thankful for the body I've got because yeah, I've had such touchwood two years now no niggles no injuries mm. um so i've been able to train really consistently and yeah i'm very grateful for my body being able to plug in uh high quality training for that period of time about anything yeah, i don't think i've had an illness either i don't think i've had such words <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> uh, but yeah so like i know like i know i'm in it for the long run like i know that's that's elite sport um uh, I'm friends with Vicky Holland. I used to go... That, when I used to do athletics, she was doing, like, national, international athletics then, national swimming. And I've seen how long it, it took her till she was 28 to get her first major medal at the Commonwealth Games uh, when she got a bronze. And she's been high highly in, in running and swimming since she was, like, 15. Mm. And so, yeah, it's taken her, like, until she was nearly 30 to get her first major medal. So... I I, I'm a, I definitely admire those kind of stories because those are the ones that we kind of need to reiterate to kids and the future generation that it's actually a really long game. Like you don't just turn pro and you get all your wins the next year. Um, and there's a lot what goes on behind the scenes that people don't see. And mm. this is, that's why I like to be a true, like try and be as true as possible and transparent as possible on social media and just tell the truth because you know you don't want to give false hope to people like oh like that elite sport person they are but all lucky they can just win all this that and the other and I'm like whoa like it's it's a lot it takes a lot to get to that level yeah um so yeah so so yeah I'm I'm definitely patient and uh, I'm looking forward to the next 10 or so years
0: yeah I love that and it's you just reminded me of uh having a conversation with Rini it was it was quite a few years ago and she was saying to me, it's so interesting when people say to her, um, oh, you know, you're an overnight success. And, you know, when she went to Kona and she came second for the first time, she ever raced in Kona, you know, obviously over the iron distance. And she sort of said, the thing is people people easily forget that I've been in the sport for a really long time. She raced short course for a long time and, you know, didn't have the most success there and it just built up over years and years and years yeah. of resilience um and just and continuing to show up. Uh it's just that then when you start winning, people you know, people recognize you, uh, but just assume that you've kind of come from nowhere. Daniela Reef was kind of similar. She she did a lot of years in oh, ITU well, yeah. and then stepped up. And sure she she hit the long distance um with a bang, but um I think people, like you say, they see the the shiny new things and just think that it's it's come to people overnight, but it 's years and years, and even with you rowing for years and everything as well, that's all been building up uh to where you are today
1: yeah, definitely, and like i've been playing even though I was a drunken crazy kid like i still play I still play sport and even to like um like And um, people are like, oh, how have you stayed injury free for two or for three years or whatever? I'm like, well, but as a kid, like I went to athletics. And even though I, you know, I wasn't hugely successful and I just went for the social, I still did like twice a week, an hour of drills, bound, like bounds and exercises, stairs, hurdles, just a humongous amount of drills um, and core cool stability stuff. Like we did really a massive amount of corns circuit work when i was a kid and i had that all leading up which is massively helpful for now like loads of impact um in the lower limbs which has helped me to to this day so it's like it's not yeah. like i've started triathlon and this is you know all from just when i started triathlon but it's mm. actually everything built up and even just like stuff if i did not do rowing there's the full triathlon there's no way i would have coped with the demands of triathlon in in, mm. a, in a mental capacity way yeah
0: that's interesting um so I want to go back to your parents and you alluded to this early on in our chat that you you're you're quite different to your parents uh who weren't who weren't into sport or who aren't into sport they're very chilled and everything what so what do they think about what you do now I guess for a living um and and what what do you actually take from them because you are so different I guess
1: I swear every time I tell them what I'm doing they're like Nikki, like, can you just be normal. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically their first thing. Because I can remember when I went and I told them I'm doing rowing at uni, they're like, Nikki, it's like a rich man's sport. What are you doing? Like, you, you know. Yep. And I'm like, no, it'll be fine. And they're like, can't you just go and do frisbee? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, or like on in athletics where you just had to buy a new pair of shoes. Oh, um, gosh. And, and then I was like, yeah, I've stopped rowing. I'm going into triathlon. Probably worse than rowing.
0: Yeah. What do you What do you think? It because it is quite, I guess, aff, two affluent sports. Uh, what do you yeah. think? What do you think is more costly, rowing or triathlon?
1: Well, I'm going to say triathlon definitely, actually, because rowing you buy a boat, which is probably you know about ten grand. You know, like getting onto your bikes. Yeah. Right. Um, and transporting, like you'd get that, you know, a lower cost the traffic's just like endless isn't it like you buy a new bike and then already i'm looking like i want to buy a new front end for, well i don't obviously buy the bike i've got supported by the bike but i'm looking yeah. at you know a new front end of my bike next year and if no one can support me with that i'm like looking at the cost i'm like jesus just the front end of the bike <laughs> um like it's never ending like and then you're just looking for these because like like so many good professional athletes now the margins are so slim Mm. that you need to be going into each race just knowing you've done everything you can and there's no oh i could have done this or that um so i just feel like the cost is never ended so I'm going to say triathlon definitely
0: yeah uh, yeah i agree not that i know much about rowing but i feel like there's a, there's only so much you can do to a to a boat right there's yeah uh, you, I mean I assume you can't always buy new foot would you call them foot plates
1: <laughs> no well, they, they definitely stay in for a good couple of years
0: <laughs> there's just always something else in triathlon this is yeah. always that's the thing
1: yeah there's always something else but yeah they just think everything and then when I was like I've oh, been an age grouper and they were like oh and I was working alongside, and you know I bringing in a reasonable amount of money and working on the side and then i'm like yeah i'm gonna quit my job and i'm gonna go pro and they're like goodness sake what's next (laughs) Uh, because they're never surprised whenever i'm like i'm gonna do this they're like yeah we're not surprised anymore
0: (laughs) oh god do they so i remember and just to you know i'm obviously not a professional triathlete um but i'm just trying to think of times where my mum has just gone can you just can you just literally and figuratively stand still for five seconds? And it was when I moved from uh, Tassie to uh, Melbourne and then a couple of my mates were doing that, you know, the year off. So they were going overseas. They're going to live in London for a year and do all that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, maybe that's what I want to do as well. And she's just like, you've just moved to Melbourne. So maybe just, just do that and don't try and do everything at once. You've still got the rest of your life ahead of you. I feel like. Was that your parents a little bit as well? Like, just, just, just stop. St- stop. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's basically what they're probably their biggest saying is just stop.
0: <laughs> I can just and it, imagine. Do you know what's
1: a funny story? Yeah. So basically, we used to live in Scotland, and yeah, I didn't. It wasn't particularly the highlight of my life. Um. So when, whilst Bex was mo- working there, I spent the last couple of years living a lot of time in Cheltenham with my parents. Yeah. Um, and I and Bex would be away a lot from Scotland on camp, so I would usually have Titch. And they absolutely just fell in love with having a dog because they've never had a dog before. And then when we finally moved to somewhere we both love, which is now Loughborough, and just so happy with the setup here and our environment that we ended up buying a house here last year. So when I finally moved out at the age of God knows what... um. <laughs> Two weeks later, my parents were like, guess where we are? And I was like, no idea. And they're like, just outside Loughborough. And I was like, okay, come and visit. And they're like, no, guess where we are? And I was like, no, I really can't. What are you, what are you doing? Because you don't do anything out of your comfort zone ever. Yeah. Um, and they were like, we're at a dog shower. And I was like, oh, my God. And I was like, okay, you need to be educated on dogs at least before you buy one. And then they came away. They're like, no, we we didn't see any there we wanted. Um, and then the next day they called and they are like, we just bought a puppy, and I was, like, <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, a puppy!" The man, and I was like, "Oh my god, what breed?" And they're like, "Well, they're the same as Titch." And I was like, "Jack Russells are the worst." At least tell me it's female. And they're like, "No, male." Single oh no! Jack Russell male puppy, and I was like, she, "Like literally, I was like, Mum and Dad, do you realise how much more hard work this is gonna be?'" And they're like, "No, it'll just be like Titch." And I was like, "Nerve, no, Jack Russells like Titch, like no other terrier is like Titch." <laughs> and they were like, "We've they," and then when they uh, for after two weeks, they're like, "We've." basically got you now back as a kid <laughs> <laughs> and he's still as hypo and it's so weird he won't grow so he looks like a puppy and he's two years old and he acts like a puppy still and they're like it's never ending it's never ending
0: <laughs> oh gosh the the empty have just thrown a jack russell back in the mix and i love it yeah so oh. funny
1: they're just like oh we should have done our research and i was like yeah you should go
0: <laughs> oh that's so funny but they love him
1: they literally love him. It's the best thing for them because it it gets them out of the house. He has to have a lot of walking. Yeah. Um, Completely and utterly the most ridiculous out of comfort zone thing they've ever done. And they just adore him. Like, literally, whenever he talks to them, they're like, okay, we're off to bath Ted. Okay, we're doing this for Ted. <laughs> my God. Our baby. But it literally is. And he sends them to bed as well. Oh, my goodness. Well, so, yes. I, I
0: mean, I think... It was it was meant to be. You were meant to have a chilled out Jack Russell because you needed that influence yeah. in your life. And clearly they needed the traditional kind of Jack Russell to, yeah. to get them to do things that they probably wouldn't have done. So it was it's all worked out perfectly.
1: Exactly. So I think it's perfect. And the Bex, because Bex is really chilled. Yeah. Um, so she calms me me down. She's like, okay, calm down now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Brett does the yeah, same to the now. <laughs> yeah.
0: Brett does the same for me in terms of calming me down. However, he would never ever have the guts to say I think you need to calm down cuz it would turn into an argument. He just has this way of doing it subtly, but he yeah. would be he would not be game enough to tell me, you know what it's like when when someone's hyped up and 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 pumped up or angry or arguing or whatever and someone says calm down, it's like adding petrol to a fire for me.
1: I know. It's like
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um just speaking of Bex, she she yeah. she does some pretty cool things. What does she what does she do? Tell I mean, I know what she does, but uh tell tell the fans out there what she does.
1: So Bex is uh the lead power coach uh for British uh, para athletes in Loughborough center. So yeah, she is, has a pretty heavy role in now us leading up to Tokyo Paralympics, which is awesome. Um, she started this role after I threw my toys out of the plan was like, I cannot live in Scotland for another year. We've done five. You promised me two. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then this job came up and it was perfect. She, she was already coaching one of the – it's a funny story. She was already coaching one of the para-athletes, which is Alison Peasgood, who's VI, while she was uh, the head coach in Triathlon Scotland. And now I guide for Alison. So yeah. it's full circle.
0: So, yeah. I mean, Bex obviously got you into that role or was it something that you've always wanted to do?
1: Um. Well, the there was the Guides for Gold initiative, which came up um mm. at the end of 2018, and it was f- three months into Bex's role, um, and she just kind of she'd never forced me to do anything, um, mm. and she probably never could, <laughs> wouldn't have <a> chance, <laughs> um, but she did. She like said, "Look, have you considered this? It's you know for for Alison, who I coach, you know, you know, Alison." I know Jack, her husband, because he was one of the first people I got into the sport with. So it was, oh, you wow. know, it's it's almost like a nice, a nice little story there. Um, and, you know, it's, I, it's set up so that I'm a race guide and she'll have a full-time training guide. Um, otherwise oh. I wouldn't be able to do both. Yeah. There's no way I could do both and do my own career. Mm. So this allows me to do both um, careers and in it, and she knows I love being a part of a team, she knows I love training with people and that kind of stuff, which this brings a massive side to. So that's kind of how it all came up. And I didn't know if it to be honest, that like when I entered I'm very open about this, when I entered the trials, I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. Mm. Um but I'll give it a go and see where it goes. And I just loved it. Um and got stuck right into it and I was like, Yeah, no, I definitely want this role. So yeah, I could to get it.
0: So VI vision impaired. Yeah.
1: Vision impaired, uh, yeah.
0: So you've had Amy on your podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. Well. Who who's? Yes. Yeah, so is she your rival, your team's rival. Yeah, she's she's one of the athletes we race
1: against. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: So I've learned a little bit, obviously, through her. Um, but yeah. how does it work? So I assume, obviously, you need to practice, uh, t- together before you go into a race. Like there has to be some kind of yeah. training together, but obviously you're not doing it full time. How does that work, uh, I guess, in terms of, and you alluded to this a little bit, your your own training um, and then fitting that in around your own training? And also, just another question, how did your coach respond to you saying, I'm going to do some more stuff?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, so first part, um, yeah, we do communicate really well and we do enough together to, because it's, and, and you know, it's not like, I'm only a race guide. And then when I'm not racing with Alison, I'm just being a lazy ass. Um, like I'm on the TT bike in an aggressive position. So I'm getting used to that, which is then transferred onto a tandem. Like I'm racing individually. So I'm getting a lot of racing experience. Um, it's not like I'm not doing brick sessions on my own. So when there's a race coming up, an important one, Alison, she lives in Scotland, so she'll come down and we'll just do the key stuff together. Like, like when we're swimming, Alison's tethered. So she's, um, we've got a tether from my leg to her leg and she likes it where we're in sync swimming. Yeah. So we'll just practice doing that. And then we'll practice going around boys in the pool. We'll get practice, um, you know, touch turn, not touch turn, sorry, touching when I'm going to speed up. So say for instance, in a race, we got dropped on feet, like, uh, we got drops off some feet. We'll have communication to get back on feet um Touch turns, <laughs> touching from when we're going around boys is something I had to get used to because it is basically just smacking her head. And I was like, I am not comfortable doing this. So I kept like lightly tapping. And she's like, no nah, that's not enough. Um, wow. So just just practicing like race scenarios, like if we've got people on our feet and we're like, now nah, we don't want to be dragging you anywhere, we'll yep. have communication of touch basically to get rid of people if they're on our feet. And then just practicing on tandem. Um, I think it was kind of what winter it was but there was one winter where we did quite a lot of tandem work and and went on camps and it's just like honestly when i get back onto it i'm just i'm comfortable on it it's not like i'm not comfortable yeah. but we will practice a lot of skills like dead turns and then when you've done a dead turn coming out your saddle together and, and putting a burst in that kind of stuff
0: yeah um, going around
1: tight cones and and yeah we we'll would practice more skill sides rather than just kind of putting your head down and doing efforts it's yeah skill side try and getting and we don't practice running too much because it's pretty pretty simple.
0: Yeah. But one of the keys, from what I understand, is you need to chat a lot. So you need to a be lot. telling her everything. So, I mean, you were you were made. Yeah. You were made to be a guide you for a some vision. Someone who
1: loves talking. <laughs> um, but it's quite good because, like, for their races, when we go to their race, it's completely different to, like, an Ironman race. Like, <laughs> you'll barely get to see the Ironman course before. You're very lucky if you can remember some of it. Whereas for their course, like, there's been races where it's like five, and considering their bike section is 20K,
0: yeah.
1: like, some of the times there's, like, five laps. So, like, so when you do a course recce, yeah. we can end up doing an hour on the laps. And so we've practiced, like, 15 times. So, you know, you'll spend the first three laps just talking to Alison through the corners, leaning into the corners so she can feel it. And yeah. then by the end of the course recce, we're trying to get it down to me just giving, like, one word um, ah. communication so that cause she at the same time she also wants me to be absolutely annihilating myself on the bike sure. so she doesn't want me like talking her through all the technical stuff so yeah we'll do it so that um she can have a really good feel so that on race day she's very confident with the course yeah um which is a great unique thing you can do on that side of the sport because obviously it's a sprint distance so and which in an Ironman you're just like you can't, you can't remember any of the course yeah um so yeah so that's so that's all the stuff we we practice leading up to a race and then She have a training guide to to get her through the the day-to-day grind.
0: Yeah, I I assume um, by doing this and really concentrating on your bike handling skills, because not only do you need to figure it out yourself, but you need to be able to find ways to communicate that. So I guess it's reiterating what you need to be doing on the bike. Is it a fair assumption that your bike handling skills in general have probably
1: improved? Uh, yeah, like, I quite like technical courses. So, like, when we did Daytona, I was like, oh, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, need some... I love the technical side of cycling, like, um, and I don't want that to ever be lost in races. Yeah. Um. So I really enjoy the technical stuff. Like, it is a lot of pressure when you're doing it with someone on the back who you could potentially throw off. Like, that yeah. is quite terrifying. But you've got to then relax, which mm. teaches you to relax in really stressful situations because, yeah, like, you get onto – so sometimes we we'll go up to a racetrack or some kind of race circuit thing. Um, <clears throat> sorry, Bex is Alison's coach, so Bex will set up like all these cones everywhere, and she's like, "Okay, this is the circuit you're doing." You get into a new place, you don't have a clue how to kind of get around these corners successfully, and you've just got to stay really calm. So yeah. it also teaches you to stay calm under pressure, which is something which you need to to learn as an athlete as well, um, and also sure. show like. At any point, if I show I'm not not confident in the situation to Alison, she'll then tense up. And that means she can't perform the skill properly either. So you've got to learn to be, even if you're trying to blag being confident, you're just like, Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you just gotta you gotta learn to like have confidence in yourself to deliver stuff. And sometimes like I will be like, Okay, I just wanna go off on this and do it on my own first to feel it. Yeah and then I'll chuck you on the back. Um so yeah, it's just it's just yeah, it's it's great to learn new stuff and be challenged all the time because you are always challenged. There are situations that happen in races which you're like, that wouldn't happen on my own in another race. Yeah. Um, and I you know, stuff like your shoe could fly off your bike or what happened in my first race. Oh my god, it was horrific. I literally thought I was gonna get sacked straight away. <laughs> so um, our first race was in Milan in twenty nineteen. It was just a practice race before we started our Paralympic qualification, which didn't end up happening. Um, mm. And we went. And we, Alison literally talked me through every single scenario, what's gone wrong in a race or training session, which could happen in a race before. She went through every single one. And she said, this is how you resolve the issue, the situation if this happens. So I was like, okay. So we practiced that for, like, the whole of winter. Anyway, we, we were sat on the pontoon waiting for our start. And all these weeds come down this rowing lake we're in. And I was like, Alison, just to make you sure you're aware, um, there's a lot of weeds which have come in front of us and we're just about to start. And they're really wide and I cannot go around them. So anyway, we went off into them and the tether within 20 metres of the race flies off. Oh no. (laughs) And I'm like, shit, I've lost my athlete. Um, It is my first race and Alison's now detached from me. (laughs) And she's probably panicking. And so am I. Um, So I was like... Okay, we didn't talk through this scenario. This has never happened. This has never happened to her, ever. Yeah. So I go back, I get the um, tether, swing it back on me, make sure she's attached, look up, and I'm like, the whole of the field must be at least 150 metres away from me, like the past the first boy and beyond. Yeah. And I was like, this is my first race. I'm going to get sacked. <laughs> but I was like, it wasn't my fault. The tether came off in the weeds. <laughs> um, so anyway, luckily, we managed to still come out the water first um oh gosh and yeah we came out the water first but I had no idea what headspace Alison was going to be in. she could have been like for sake this is your fault even though it wasn't um and so I had to learn how to stay calm and and yeah I think I delivered it all right but it was wasn't until the second lap of the bike I was like I need to concentrate on actually pushing this bike now rather than just trying to keep us both calm from what happened yeah um so yeah you learn new situations all the time and and how to adapt on the spot because yeah in a race Let's be honest, has anyone ever had the perfect race? Well, I definitely haven't. And there's always something that goes wrong where you're like, oh my God, what do I do now? Or, you know, a tactical move where you're like, I don't know what to do quite now. So you just, yeah, all those things, all those key skills are great to to transfer to your own racing and to, to Alison's racing.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Wow, what a story. Far out.
1: <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, we're going to start wrapping things up, but I, I just I've got a okay. couple more questions I want to ask you before we go. And one of them is, um, what would you tell yourself going back to when you were around, sort of 15, 16? What would you go back and uh, tell yourself? Oh
1: my God, do you know? What? I'm actually. This might sound a bit crazy and off, off the scale a bit, but I'm actually <laughs> glad I had all those. I'm actually glad I had all those phases in my life. And because I've learned from each of them and it's made me to who I am today. Like I had all that party in, so I'm not even tempted to touch booze because I know it's a very slippery slope for me. (laughs) By the way, I'm not an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I've just learned so much from all the sports I've done and meeting all the people on the way. And I've had a lot of fun through my life and I've loved it. And if I could tell anyone, I'm not telling you to go drink, but I'm also just telling you to have a lot of fun with what you're doing even yeah. when you go pro just keep it fun um there is no one one rule like i look at other people and i'm like wow they live such a strict pro-life whereas i love to jazz it up and like i'll take my long run into the peak district where there is no pace your pace is probably seven minutes a k because it's so hilly and you know it's rocky and you know sometimes it might not be two hour long run it might end up three and a half hours because you get lost like i like to keep it fun and just lighthearted in many areas, but I do work very really hard um mm. alongside it. But yeah, just keeping things fun and and different and spicing things up. And yeah, there is no like when I look at some what some uh, pro athletes lead, that life I lead, I'm like, I don't think I could do it that strict mm. and be in the sport for a long period of time either. Yeah. Um so yeah. I think I've taken the fun from from my younger years and kept it but just without the booze. <laughs> <laughs> And I like that.
0: I think we're we're all kind of learning that um, you you've got to enjoy what you're doing and have fun with it. Um, it certainly obviously works for you, that's for sure.
1: Mm. And yeah, and, and you know, some people might be like, "Nah, I need to follow a strict program. I can't be going off course or anything like that." So it's just whatever works best for you.
0: Yeah, definitely. So with all yeah. that being said, where where do you see yourself in t- say ten years?
1: in the sport
0: yeah <laughs>
1: i'll be the granny
0: <laughs> wait hang on how old are you how old are you at the moment i'm 33 oh mate you got heaps of time like yeah
1: 10 plus years
0: yeah how many women in the sport are killing it over the age of 40 and they're still doing oh i, going I look
1: up to so much i'm like i hope i'm as fast as you when i'm that age
0: yeah, I've got definitely. no doubt. And I'm sure you'll still be um, improving and having heaps of fun.
1: Yeah, we'll definitely have many more podcasts to come, hopefully with recordings.
0: My goodness, I'm so nervous. Uh, do you know how many times I've checked <laughs> to make sure that it's still recording throughout this entire show? Oh, far I'm out. I'm so happy
1: when you're like, let's have another go. And i was like, yeah.
0: <laughs> I think this one was a better version anyway.
1: Yeah, definitely. There we go. It's saving the best to the end of the year.
0: Well, this is this is our final uh, Wits Up podcast for 2020. And like I said to you, yeah. like we need to go out with a bang. Let's go out with probably the most enthusiastic, energetic, tri-geek. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: we're like, we're so like, for like if we were at school together. It would have been so funny.
0: Oh, gosh. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we wouldn't <laughs> have got. It just reminds me, like the stuff that I used to do. Um, I don't know how I got away with it. It and, and like I say, it was I was never really naughty. It was just cheeky, cheeky and I think was, yeah, like we. You remember those ceilings? I, I assume they were in schools across the world, but they they almost look like polystyrene kind of ceilings. Like yeah, were, yeah, I
1: know what you mean.
0: Yeah, and I used to get a rubber band. I'm trying to find a rubber band on my desk, but I don't have one. And I would. Put it around my fingers and then put my pen in it. And so it would become like a bow and arrow and shoot pens into the ceiling. And so that's what I'd do when I was bored. And the teacher had his or her back turned to me and I'd see how many pens I could get in the ceiling by the end of the session without getting busted. That was the kind of shit that well, I did. My
1: pens. Exactly.
0: One fell on them, fell on a teacher once. So I got busted. I just came loose. Hey.
1: That's kind of stuff, yeah, yeah, like, I can remember when my mum once was looking for me and they were like, do you know where Le- Nikki is? And she was like, yeah, she's down XX corridor on the teacher's chair going off the ramp. <laughs> <laughs> that's just the kind of... Like, it's not really... Not, I don't know. Some people, the goody goodies at school, aren't they? they like, oh, my God, that's so naughty. But I'm like, nah, that's just cheeky. Just cheeky.
0: <laughs> and and all the teachers liked me. And we I had heaps of fun with them. So that's why yeah. I feel like it was cheeky. I was never... You know, I was never sent home from school. I was never...
1: Yeah. Okay, I... yeah, I was sent home.
0: Oh, yeah. You... Okay, so you were What were you sent home for? Uh, pea shooting. Oh, I'd be like, right... What's pea shooting?
1: You get a, you get a you get your piece of paper... Oh, yeah. Balls, ...and then go...
0: throw a pea shooter. And you got sent home for that? Well, we'd write lines, and
1: I'd be like, I'm not writing lines again. I've just written lines from oh. the other class um yeah there was a few attempts of getting me home i'm just like woo
0: task one. Oh gosh we used to do that as well i didn't know it was called pea shooting but then we also upgraded to you know the little um raspberry lollies so we'd bite off little oh, yeah. bits of that and then put it in there and so that they'd really stick to other people's clothes or heads or it, they
1: whatever really do stick and especially if you oh god the last,
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nick. Thank you so much for joining me at late notice. But what a way to finish up the year with uh, a little Thanks bit so of much. a burst of energy! Thank you. Uh, we have a have a great. Um, what do we say? Happy holidays! Um, yeah. I assume you celebrate Christmas because you've got the Santa oh. costume. Oh, that's a
1: Christmas tree Ah,
0: uh, really. I like yeah. that. Love
1: Christmas time
0: this is this is the first year in a while, or not not in a while, but I'm really looking forward to Christmas this year, I guess because we get yeah. you know we get to see family and friends um, after lockdown here. Uh, and Frankie's at an age where it's just so much more fun with with her. Um, yeah where, How are you with lockdown? where, where are you where are you at with that?
1: So we are allowed to be within we're allowed to come together as three families in one household. Oh, um, from the twenty third to twenty eighth, so there's like a section of time right. we're allowed to be together. Um, so we rotate Christmases. So this year it's Bex's family's turn, and luckily we can all come together safely. And yeah. Bex's parents, and then me and Bex and her brother will just be, should be the five of us this Christmas. Yeah. Um. Wow. But, but yeah, it just means I can't then see my family. I don't yeah. even know when. I haven't seen them for like six months. It's horrible. Um, oh, shit. Actually going to drop off their Christmas presents tomorrow because we can't even go in their house or anything. Yeah. It's just crazy. Crazy times. So, yeah, it's been pretty difficult. But, you know, hopefully, because we're actually in these, at the moment, well, there's new guidelines going out tomorrow. Um right. But we are, where we live in Loughborough, in the strictest tier. So we go right up to tier three and we're in tier three. So we basically can't do much at all.
0: Oh,
1: but we did go out <laughs> for a Friday night out. So we're allowed to go outdoors with six of us. Yeah. Um, so we went over to Nottingham, because uh, that's where Lucy Gossage lives. Yeah. And she's also in tier three. And her uh, friend and two friends, and me and Bex and Alan, went out. I was Santa blown up. Goss was a Christmas tree. Uh, uh, there was an Alf, a Rudolph, and a chicken. And <laughs> we went out. And a um, chicken? So we couldn't go in. Yes! Yeah. We couldn't he didn't have a christmas outfit and goss was like just put my chicken out outfit on brilliant um and we weren't allowed to go in a house uh, to chill or anything so we just went and walked down the streets and went and got a warm cider and then went and got a takeaway indian and sat on a bench and ate it and then went brilliant.
0: At home. brilliant but that sounds like the perfect night
1: it was the perfect friday night out and there's not many friends you could just like literally it was so normal it was course yeah. like, just bring any outfit you got and we'll just go down and have a takeaway on the street. And I was like, okay, see you there. <laughs> uh,
0: I love it. Well, that sounds like fun. Um, it was awesome. Hopefully you get just to Just make see- the most of what you can do. Exactly, exactly. And hopefully you can see your family sooner rather than later. But uh, regardless, yeah. happy holidays.
1: Yeah, and you, Steph, have a great one. Thanks for everything you've done this year for Women in Sports, though, and I hope it all continues successfully next year.
0: Ah, uh, thanks, mate. I appreciate it. We appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in. Hit subscribe, give us a rating, leave a comment, and don't forget, if you're not already a Wits Up Patreon member, sign up in the link in the description. But above all else, keep yourselves knee deep in awesomeness. <laughs>